Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning and to have this opportunity to bring God's word. I bring greetings to you from my wife, Phyllis. We miss you all terribly and certainly look forward to that time when we can all gather together as Pastor Sinclair prayed and worship together. And we certainly look forward to that day. Please know that until that time arrives, if, if I and as one of your pastors, and I'm sure I speak for our entire staff, if we can do anything at all uh, to assist you during this time, uh, please don't hesitate to contact us at the, at the church office. Well, this morning we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of St. Luke. We're still in chapter 18, and today I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, and I'd like to read verses 18 through 30, which is an account of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers for parents or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. Pray with me, if you would, please. Our Father and our God, we are indeed helpless and hopeless in understanding your word this morning, unless you, Father, stoop to our weakness and give us understanding of this text for our edification, and for our sanctification. And so we ask, O oh God, for your help in this time, and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for some time now, we have been in the Gospel of Luke, and what a wonderful time it has been sitting under God's Word. Recently, we've been looking at chapter 18. That chapter chapter 18, speaks a great deal about the kingdom of God and particularly about entrance into the kingdom of God. And to show us the great value of the kingdom of God, so far we've been told two stories. First, there was a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. 
Last week, the story was about people bringing little kids, little children to Jesus. And you know, when you look at both of those stories and the one we're going to look at today, you kind of get the idea that, that Jesus really isn't for everybody. You say, what do you mean? Well, in the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, it's the humble, not the proud, who get into the kingdom. In the story involving the little children, it's only those who have faith, like a child, that will receive the kingdom of God. And here in today's passage, Luke 18, verses 18 through 30, Luke tells us yet another story in which Jesus encounters a man who is quite interested in the kingdom of God and what he must do to get into it. Here in verse 18 of our passage, Jesus is asked by this young man, how do I inherit eternal life? Actually, in studying this passage, the Greek might translate better like this. How do I inherit life in the age to come? How do I inherit life in the age to come? This man is asking about a different time, about a different age. He's asking about an age that will be characterized by a different life, one that would be better than the one he currently has, and furthermore, would last forever. And who doesn't want that? I sure do. Especially in light of the past seven or eight weeks and living inside of this quarantine. If, if, if the quarantine has done anything for us, at least in my own life, it's revealed how many, many sins we have. It's revealed our desire to be in control of our lives. It's revealed our aversion to having other people telling us where we can go and when we can go. It's revealed our impatience. It's revealed our sin. And having seen that, we get weary, don't we? And we want to be rid of our sin. We long for a better, fuller, different life. Well, if that describes you, as it certainly does me, then, then I want to invite you to listen this morning to Jesus' conversations in this passage about how to get the life, get life to the full. Life to the full. With this quarantine, I've had lots of time to look at the Bible. And at this particular passage, as well as the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark, and after doing so and, and consulting with people much wiser than myself, here's what I think Jesus is saying in this passage. Here's the big idea. The big idea, according to this passage, is that the way into the kingdom, the way into this better, fuller, more complete and eternal life involves at least three things. You'll find them printed in your worship folder if you're following from home. It involves leaving it involves following, and it involves receiving. Leaving, following, and receiving. And it's in that order. While the kingdom is a gift, as we saw last week from verse 17, in order to receive that gift, there's something that we will have to leave. 
to leave behind. We'll see that in this text. There is a king that we will need to follow in place of our being in charge of our lives. And that king's name is Jesus. And in doing those things, we will enter into a kingdom in which we will receive things that will more than replace anything that we leave behind here. Now, with that said, you need to understand that this fellow in our story this morning didn't think like that at all. He just didn't. What do we know about him? Well, Luke tells us that he's a ruler, which indicates that the man is in a position of authority. He also tells us, as Mark does, that he is wealthy. And in Matthew's account, we're told that he was young. Now, when I thought about that, I said, okay, we've got a rich, young ruler here. And the first thing I began to think is, how does somebody that young get all that money and gain such a position of power? How did that come about? Well, we can speculate. He, he may have inherited the wealth. Maybe his family name got him the place of power. Or maybe he was just a hard worker. We really don't know. But what we do know is that there's something missing this guy's life. And so he comes to Jesus, and he doesn't come in some casual manner. He doesn't just saunter up to Jesus, because in Mark's account, we're told that he literally runs up to Jesus, drops on his knees before him, and he asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus offers a strange response. He says, Why? Do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now just, it's important to note that some people have taken Jesus' words and say, See, Jesus is denying that he's God. Because he says only God is good. And because he says, why do you call me good? He's denying his deity. Is that what's happening? Not at all. I love what Phil Riken says about this particular verse. This is the quote, Far from denying his own deity, Jesus was affirming it by pressing the ruler to follow his statement to its logical conclusion. The first premise was the one he had already granted. Jesus, you're good. The second premise, namely, that God alone is perfectly good. And so on the basis of those two premises, the conclusion therefore follows, Jesus is not just good, he's God. And because he is the Son of God incarnate, he is to be served and worshipped as the living God. And so this young fellow comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? No doubt this fellow was pretty capable to have gotten where he was in life. So in his mind, at least, he comes to Christ and says, show me what else I need to add to my to-do list, and I'll see to it that it's, get it, that it's done. There he is, kind of kneeling before Jesus. And if he were, I just can't help but think if he were around today, he'd have a smartphone in his hand and have his Google to-do app pulled up, and he's just waiting for Jesus to tell him, what else he needs to do because he's capable and he can make it happen. Just tell me, Jesus, what else it is I need to do. 
And I want you to listen closely to what Jesus says to him. In verse 20, Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he proceeds to quote some of the Ten Commandments to him. He says, do not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler, he likes that. He likes what he hears because he says in verse 21, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. Now we hear that and we think, how ridiculous. When compared to God's standard for keeping the commandments, which is perfection, no one could possibly keep them all or even one. But you see, this guy is measuring himself not against God's standard, but he's using his own standards. And when he looks at his own standards, he thinks he's in pretty good shape. And so to expose his sin, Jesus tells the man to do something. In verse 22, he tells his fellow, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, all of it, and distribute it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. With those words, our Lord brings into light the thing that's standing in between the rich young ruler and the kingdom of God. It isn't something he hasn't done or even something he has done. But I believe it's something he just flat has not and will not leave behind. It's the leaving behind, Jesus says, that's the one thing you lack. And what Jesus tells the rich young ruler to leave behind is his wealth. What's he doing? He's exposing his covetousness and he's using the law to do that. He says, sell everything that you have, give it away. And the passage tells us that when the young man heard these things, he became very sad and walked away from Jesus. And Jesus, seeing that he had become very sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Well, then say the disciples, who can be saved? You see, in their culture, wealth was a sign of blessing. And if God's blessing wasn't on this guy, then whose was? Now we look at this passage, and maybe you're thinking right about now, is Jesus just against wealth? Is Jesus saying that, that I have to be poor to be his follower and inherit the kingdom of heaven? No. God didn't tell Abraham, for instance, to get rid of his, his wealth. Joseph of Arimathea was welcomed into the kingdom of God without having to give away his wealth. So why did Jesus tell this young ruler to do so? I think it's so important, brothers and sisters, to realize that this was a particular instruction to a particular man with a particular problem. Money was an idol in this man's life. It was an idol that he needed to die to before he could really make God the object of his worship. 
And so you hear that and you say, well, that takes me off the hook. I don't have a problem with worshiping money. Maybe you don't. There are many in our culture who do. This guy did. But while money isn't a problem for you in terms of idolatry, would you be open at least to the possibility that maybe you do have idols in your life? They're just different than this man's. You see, the reality is we all have idols in our lives. Different things that we treasure more than God and give more of our love and attention to. And what Jesus is saying to us is that those things, whatever they might be, you have to leave behind. You have to die to if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. And so may I ask you this question this morning? What is it that you need to leave behind in your life to follow Jesus? How is God using this virus and the quarantine of it to expose idols in your life that you just need to die to, to follow Jesus? It could be one thing, it could be a mix of things, but whatever it is, Jesus is saying there is a leaving behind that needs to happen before the following and the receiving. Which brings us to our next point. In all three gospel accounts, Jesus says, leave and come follow me. Come follow me. What does he mean by that? Let me give you a couple of examples from Holy Scripture. The first one it was a time when just after Jesus had finished the Sermon on the Mount, and the crowds were just amazed by him. And they were running after Jesus. And Matthew writes that when Jesus came down off the mountain, great crowds followed Jesus. And they were in awe of his authority, of his boldness, his insights, his miracles. And yet there's not one indication whatsoever that they were ready and willing to do anything about it. As the crowds chase Jesus, he comes to Capernaum, and there he's met by a Roman centurion who pleads with him to heal his paralyzed servant. And Jesus agrees to do so. He starts to step toward the guy's house, but the man replies, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. And then he says this, for I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I ask you, what separated the centurion's response from that of the crowd? Like the crowds, he recognized Jesus' authority. But unlike the crowds, he was willing to submit himself to it, to come under the authority of Christ. But we're told in the text that when Jesus hears this, he marvels and he says to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Don't miss what Jesus is teaching us there. He's teaching us what it really means to follow. It, it involves a willingness to place oneself under the authority of Christ, under his rule. It's a recognition that he's God and we're not. And it's a realization that he is worthy of one's faith and one's devotion, of one's life. 
Another example is the life of, of what it means to follow Jesus is the life of Paul. If you think about it, he had some things in common with the rich young ruler. Listen how he describes himself in Philippians 3, 4. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, listen to this, under the law, blameless. Who's that sound like? But then he said this, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Don't miss what Paul's teaching us there. Paul's teaching us that following Jesus means seeing Jesus as your treasure as the most important person in the world. And that's who he was to Paul. One more example about following Christ. It means treasuring him. It means placing oneself under his authority. It also means obeying him. It was Christ himself who said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. A little later on in that same chapter, our Lord said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And in 1 John 5, 3, we read these words, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, dear friends, hear me this morning. What Jesus is saying to this rich young ruler and to you and I is very simply this. If we're to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to lay our doing down. In the words of that old song, down at Jesus' feet, stand in Him and Him alone, gloriously complete. He's saying, I have to be your treasure. I have to be your goodness. I have to be your righteousness. His life poured out has to be our true treasure because He's done it all for us. And we have to be willing to come under his authority and obey his commands. Now you hear all that and you say, my word, who can possibly live like that? Why? It, it, it does seem impossible, doesn't it? And guess what? It is. Who can die to themselves and submit to another and follow him? Jesus says it. Right here, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, only God can show us our idolatry and set our hearts free to delight in Jesus. Only God can change us so that our desires are for Him rather than for our idols. Only God can enable us to keep His commandments. And only God can save us, not through what we do, not through our being good enough because we can never be, but through the gift of His Son, Jesus, the Messiah. Only God can do that. Now, when you hear that, I hope that you rejoice in that, but you also may ask the question, is it worth it, really? You're telling me that I've got to die to myself, I've got to follow and trust somebody else and his finished work on the cross. Is it really worth it for me to have to do that? And that brings us to our final point.
And it's very simply this. Entering the kingdom of heaven involves leaving, cleaving, I'm sorry, leaving, following, and receiving. In verses 28 through 30, Jesus has a conversation with somebody else. This time it's his friend Peter. And let me just say, you know, a lot of times Peter gets criticized for talking when he should be listening. But boy, here's one time when he got exactly what Jesus was saying. Notice what he says in verse 28. He says, Jesus, we've left our homes. We've left everything to follow you. That's a telling statement. Let me tell you why. Because when Jesus spoke with the rich young ruler, he told him to give up his earthly riches and he'd get riches in heaven. But when Jesus speaks to Peter here, Jesus is going to talk about something different. It wasn't money that Peter was emotional about leaving behind. That wasn't a problem. It was family. Did you hear what he said? We've left our homes. And Jesus, being Jesus picks up on this concern of Peter and responds in a very affirming way in verses 29 and 30. Listen to this. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. What a promise it's a promise that has two parts. It involves the future, and it involves the right now. Let's talk about the right now. The kingdom of God is a family. It's the people that we, up until seven weeks or so, so ago, enjoyed gathering together with each week. It's the people we share our joys with, our struggles with. In other words, it's the church. It's the, it's the place where we celebrate together the things of God and things that we have left behind and we now focus on Him. There are lots of reasons why entering the kingdom of God might mean losing something of family. I know people, and I'm sure you do, who became a Christian and their family just stopped talking to them. There are others whom God has called to live a life of singleness, and they are at times lonely, and they're in need of relationship. Or there are those who, for a variety of reasons, can't have a family of their own, and they're lonely, and they're tired. And brothers and sisters, such people need to be able to discover that the church family is a little piece of heaven right here on this earth, rather than a thing of earth. Let me just say, we need to be that kind of family, don't we? Right here. There's a present component to this, but it, there's also a future component. And that future component is heaven. Where Jesus is, where we'll live with Jesus forever. Can you imagine that? Forever? Billions and billions and billions of years. We're going to be with Jesus forever. How wonderful will that be? One more time, listen to how Phil Riken describes it. It's just beautiful. He says, what will make it, heaven, so wonderful is how it will be a life of freedom. 
freedom from sin, both our sin and the sin of others, free from pain, whether physical or emotional, freedom from sadness, every tear will be wiped from our eyes. It will also be a full life, full of worship with music, much more glorious than we can imagine, full of glory with beautiful new bodies that are raised with Christ. And best of all, it will be a life full of God, lived in the very presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Is leaving and following Jesus worth it? Yes. Because what we are heading towards is infinitely better than anything we have here now. And so my dear brothers and sisters, and even for those who may be listening this morning who do not yet know Christ, may I urge you May I plead with you to leave, to lay your deadly doing down, to come under the authority of Christ, to see how precious he is, and to receive the blessings that he promises. Leave behind whatever Jesus is telling you personally to leave behind. Follow him from this day on. Don't take your eyes off of him so that you can keep walking with him. Enter the kingdom of God and receive in this age many times more than what you've left behind and receive in the age to come eternal life. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. How kind and loving of you to show us by your Spirit the way into the kingdom. Grant faith this morning, O God, to those without faith to respond in obedience. And grant perseverance, God, to those with faith to keep our eyes on Jesus who died that we might live both now and forever. Amen.